the Women Changing the World podcast, a podcast on a mission to bring you some of the most amazing women I know who are doing incredible things to generally make the world a better place. From corporate sustainability to straight up magic and everything in between, you'll meet the real life humans who are birthing the new. I'm your host, Liz Best, and I'm here to amplify the stories and voices of women who are changing the world. of the Women Changing the World podcast. This is actually the very first interview that I recorded in 2022, and it is a fun one. I sat down with Danielle Jezenicki, who is the Director of Sustainability at Grove Collaborative, and we talked everything from how to make your lifestyle more sustainable to tips for setting and achieving impossible goals um, and how to manage all of the things and feel like you're doing enough as a sustainability leader and a working mom. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Danielle as much as I did. Welcome to this episode of the Women Changing the World podcast. I am so, so, so excited to have Danielle Jezaniki here, uh, who is the Director of Sustainability at Grove Collaborative uh, and just a human that I am a huge fan of. Uh, Danielle, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. This is my favorite podcast, and I'm so pleased to be here. Oh my gosh, thank you. (laughs) High (laughs) praise coming from you. Um, I so appreciate it. And definitely want to give people a chance to get to know you before we get into all the questions. Um, So would you mind just briefly introducing yourself? Sure. So I'm Danielle Jesnicki. I'm currently the Director of Sustainability at Grove Collaborative, where I've been for about two and a half years strangely mostly virtual, but I did have some time in the office and I do go there on occasion. Um, I live in San Francisco with my husband and two young sons. And I've been in San Francisco for almost 14 years now. I'm from the East Coast originally. And before Grove, I worked in corporate sustainability at Williams-Sonoma. And before that, did impact investing. I'm sure we'll talk about all that later. But um, yeah, live in California, managing motherhood and work and trying to get out for adventures when we can. We're big skiers and love, you know, to hike and all the outdoors. So I think that's the nutshell for now. Totally. I think I hit all the the, <laughs> the um the big topics. Yeah, it's all the key stats. I love it. Well, and I didn't realize you've been in San Francisco for 14 years. Um I I've heard no, that at the so 10 year well. mark, you're like officially a San Franciscan. So. <laughs> yeah, it's just crazy how it's been in kind of different chapters, but um it's crazy how you know, you never plan to stay somewhere so long and all of a sudden yeah, you're an official San Franciscan, I guess, which is another strange <laughs> because I will always identify as a New Yorker. (laughs) (laughs) That seems like a very New York thing. I love it. 
Um, well, my favorite question to ask people on the podcast is if you could change one thing about the world, since this is the Women Changing the World podcast, what would be your one thing? This was such a good question. And I like I feel like I'm going to be kind of bumbling around with an answer. But what I wish I could change about the world is that it functioned more in harmony with nature, like more logically, like when I think about the biggest problems we have on this earth, there are things where we really departed from nature. Like plastic is, you know, a good one. Like why would we create something? Or let's talk about fossil fuels. If you're creating energy from scratch, you would pull it from, you know, the wind and the sky. You wouldn't drill down into the center of the earth in a way that, you know, kind of extracts and pollutes and all that. So I think if I could change one thing about the world, it was that we would function logically kind of in harmony with nature <laughs> rather than in these crazy systems that we've come to consider as the status quo and are so impossible to change. Um, so yeah, I think that's what I would change. <laughs> I love that. I mean, it, it's such a bummer. That, I mean, bummer was like such an understatement, but I feel like yeah. that all of the systems that are currently in place are so entrenched because it seems like such right. a, such a no brainer that we would just get our energy from the wind and the sun. We have the technology. And that's what's so frustrating about the climate crisis. We have solutions available, but it's that we need to change systems and ways of doing things and, you know, kind of the, um, the functions that seem so permanent, even though of course they're not. So yeah, I wish if I could change one thing, it would be like our path, our trajectory as humans on the planet. Just a really simple thing. Yeah, really small, not a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I love it. Well, I would love to hear a little bit more about like the various things on your plate right now, um, a little bit more about your current work at Grove um, and what else kind of fills up your days in addition to um, skiing and <laughs> escaping the city. Uh, sure. Unfortunately, not that much skiing these days, although we did finally go and get our older son on skis, which was a real highlight of parenting. But in general, so I'd say days are very busy. Um, any working mom can attest to, you know, the juggle is very real, kind of like a hectic, you know, from the first morning, the first second you wake up all the way to the end, the days are quite full, but with all good things. So very grateful for that. But at Grove, so I manage corporate sustainability at Grove. And so that means a lot of things fall into my purview. Um, so there's the, so Grove, just sorry to explain Grove for those who aren't familiar. So Grove is an online retailer of sustainable home and personal care. We make our own products. So those are our Grove branded products, but we're also a marketplace for third-party brands like Seventh Generation, Method, Myers, and um, a lot of personal care brands and cosmetics that I also really love. We are the world's first plastic neutral retailer, and we're dedicated to being plastic free by 2025. So that's kind of a quick intro on Grove. Oh, sorry. Last thing I'll mention is you probably maybe have seen Grove at Target. So we started selling in retail as well. Um, so that's kind of where I hear a lot of people are like, oh, yeah, I've seen you in Target. <laughs> so um, that should give you a little context for what I'm about to talk about. So I manage sustainability for Grove Collaborative, which is the parent company. So both the own brands and the marketplace. Um, and so that means really, you know, everything that falls under the purview of sustainability. But generally, our activities are organized under really four pillars. So the first is plastic. That's really our focus area. So we have a plastic working group of over 80 brands that we work with on this plastic reduction and avoidance journey. And then um, working closely with our own brands on their own plans for plastic reduction. Um, and, you know, kind of internally managing all those activities that go along with that. And then the next pillar is carbon and climate. So 
we've set a goal to be net zero by 2030 and are working on some really creative offset solutions that um, are very much focused on conservation and biodiversity protection. So that's been a fun thing I've been spending more time on. The next pillar is um, trees and forests. So that will align really closely with carbon. So with Arbor Day, we've almost reached our goal to plant 1 million trees and are figuring out what's next. Oh, wow. So exciting projects there. Yeah. And then working on our supply chain too, to make sure it's entirely deforestation free. And then the last pillar is sustainability leadership. So this is the fun stuff of, you know, kind of figuring out refills and circularity and, um, you know, what does sustainability leadership mean? So a company like Growth is founded on the concept of only offering sustainable products. Sustainability is the heart of everything we do. So if we're kind of taking on that leading position, how do we make sure that we you know, retain that lead? What does that look like? So that's the last pillar. And so all my activities are kind of generally organized under those four principles, whether it's for our own brands or for our marketplace of brands. Um, the other two things I manage are advocacy, which we're, we're doing more of, which is really cool. And then our um, philanthropic giving, which is really small, but um, you know, still a lot of in-kind donations and things like that. Oh my gosh. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for sharing and for breaking it down into both the four pillars and those two additional buckets. It's a lot of stuff for one person. Well, I have one person on my team and she has an adorable dog. So we're kind of a three person (laughs) team. (laughs) I love it. That's amazing. Um, Well, and how, you know, I know a lot of people who listen, who listen to this podcast, like would think that this is like a total dream job, um, which I know in many in many senses of those words it is. Um, how did you get here? I, I really would love to hear. I know I know you've had some really interesting experience and twists and turns, which you alluded to at the beginning of our conversation. But would love if you're willing to take up space and tell your story uh, to hear. You know how one becomes the director of sustainability at Grove. Sure. Yeah. Well, it is a rambling story, but um, has a funny kind of beginning. And well, so I was a political science major in college. And that's really, I think, where my kind of focus in sustainability comes from as this really kind of fundamental understanding of the world is organized into, you know, kind of resources drive our political systems and our conflicts. I did a war conflicts course um, when I was abroad. And so just kind of left college with this theory that our political systems are so organized around, you know, economics and like national relations, but natural resources really don't factor into this equation, or at least in a way we talk about. And it seemed like the sustainability challenges that were so obvious to the scientific community just didn't show up anywhere, not in politics, not in business, um, not in finance, and just kind of started off my career path with this question of, why is sustainability not something that's integrated into any of, you know, kind of the way we organize the world? Um, and so with that big question, I went to become a ski instructor in Utah. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> um, no, I'm teasing, but I grew up in New York City and, and you know, I did like family vacations. My parents, you know, loved to be outside. We did a lot of time at the beach, but um, had never had the chance to like spend, you know, like a whole winter skiing. And I just realized like when you graduate college, you have this window of opportunity to do something like that. Um, you know, where no one's going to ask like, why did you, you know, why did you spend that winter skiing or whatever? You kind of haven't started your career. So it seemed like a great time to take some time. And it was, it was so fun and really formative for me and just spending that much time outside and growing up in New York city, you know, you meet the type of people you meet going to private school are kind of, from 
like a certain ecosystem and see the world a certain way. So another thing that was really fun in Utah is like I worked in a restaurant, like I was a waitress, like I ski instructed sometimes and just like met different people who saw the world differently and just widened my horizons, made me realize I didn't want to live in New York City. I didn't want to live somewhere. I did want to live somewhere kind of more outdoor oriented and, um, you know, just was kind of like, okay, that was fun. Like, how do I live more like that, even if that's not my path? And so I went back to New York and started, you know, to look for a job and like start the whole process and was so overwhelmed by the amount of waste just generated everywhere. Not that, you know, Utah's perfect, but I think on a day-to-day basis, you just don't see that kind of trash accumulating. Mm-hmm. And so going back to New York, I was really overwhelmed by just like the single use focus of packaging and like waste generated. So I had this idea to start a business where I would go to people's houses and I would help them change out their products and like help be like a sustainability consultant for their home, help them find, you know, cleaner products, reduce their waste, find reusables instead of um, single use. And, you know, it was kind of like all the way kind of had this idea for this company that I was going to found. And then I started kind of going down that path and just realized like, you know, I've never really had a lot of work experience. Like I don't really know how to start a business or like really know what people do when they go to work every day. So maybe I should kind of get some experience (laughs) and kind of, you know, figure out like, how do you start a business? So I think it was, um, I didn't have that like entrepreneurial zeal of like, this is what I'm going to do. I think it was more of like a pet project and a passion. Um, so I kind of kept it in mind. I ended up getting a job at a corporate communications firm, which was really excellent training. We worked with market moving situations. So basically any kind of like merger, acquisition, crisis, um, you have these team of communications consultants who come in and kind of manage the whole situation. So it was just phenomenal training in terms of like business communications, um, you know, how like financials move based on news um, and just really like, I think, you know, coming out of college, like this is what an email going to a client should look like. This is what, you know, just like really perfecting those communication skills. So I did that. And then this was the time leading up to um, the financial crisis. <laughs> and we worked with a lot of banks. Um, I think Lehman Brothers wasn't a client, but like a lot of other banks were. And so I was just kind of going into this time where the world was really kind of felt like it was crumbling around you. And I was picturing the next few years sitting in a windowless conference room, you know, monitoring the news for every article that came out (laughs) um, and was like thinking back to my days on the ski slopes, thinking like, I got to get out of here. Like, this is like my chance. And so this was really crazy that I just like moved to San Francisco in October of, what was it? 2004, I guess that's when, yeah, no, sorry, not 2004, 2008 is of course when this happened. Um, so moved to San Francisco, like as the financial crisis was happening, left my job. My company was like, are you crazy? Like you're quitting <laughs> a job right now. Um, and by total scrappiness, I found, a, and I was, you know, kind of wanted to chase down this sustainability idea. So I found a firm that did some sustainability consulting and I worked with them for a little while um, and then ultimately joined another communications firm more focused on, commu- you know, kind of tech, clean tech um, just like the Bay Area industries. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I spent about a year there before finding that focus to investor relations. And then I spent two years in an investor relations firm where I worked with tech and clean tech companies. And so like all this time I was like, I know I want to get into sustainability. I'm just going to raise my hand for every project, whether it's like office green team or like a client looking to do a survey on like sustainable practices, you know? So it was just like at this point, sustainability wasn't my job, but I was raising my hand for it every chance I got. 
-hmm. and then went on to investor relations where at the time clean tech was kind of the, you know, the market's way of talking about sustainability. So I worked with tech clients and with clean tech clients and quickly realized there wasn't a huge distinction between the two. It kind of depends on the dimension you measure them. So you could have, you know, a tech client that actually is really efficient and saves a ton of energy or a clean tech client who has some component of clean technology, but whose whole, you know, kind of system relies on fossil fuels. So, you know, that's kind of an artificial distinction. So um, from there, kind of what, but, you know, I think investor relations was really interesting because you're coming to this question of technology sustainability, but again, the financials don't reflect your impact on sustainability. Mm-hmm. And so kind of still had this question in my mind of like, how are we going to get sustainability into the mainstream dialogue, like the way we evaluate companies? And so I was thinking about grad school and I was looking at all the MBA programs and taking the GMAT. I think I took it twice. It was horrible. (laughs) And then um, I had this conversation with somebody who worked in sustainability consulting and they were like, look, I talked to MBAs are a dime a dozen. Like, I just don't think there's much value to an MBA. Um, If you want to work in sustainability, go put your money where your mouth is, go to a sustainability program. I thought that was really good advice. It really resonated with me. And so I did the Presidio program in sustainable management. And so that program integrates sustainability into all the coursework. So, um, you know, ton of internships, it's really hands-on. It was really, I think it's a great program for sustainability practitioners. Um, a lot of my um, classmates are working in sustainability roles now and doing great things. So really kind of mission-driven program. And um I think that was the right, you know, kind of path for me and just learning how challenging it is to implement sustainability. Mm-hmm. Like, what are the challenges? You know, what, like, what does it look like? You can study these theories and concept, but what does implementation look like? Um, so from Presidio, continued on this path, joined an impact investing firm where I really dug into this question of like, how do you integrate sustainability into valuation? And so that's where I think I formalized my skills on that kind of question of materiality. Um, And so I worked there for four years as an impact analyst and um, really kind of loved that. I think it's great training. And um, I got to look across asset classes, which was also interesting across themes. So it wasn't like I was just looking at like water investments. I was really looking across the spectrum. And then, um, so I always had in my mind this question of like, you know, again, we've talked about sustainability a lot and evaluating companies and so on. But from an investment standpoint, it's really easy to say to a company, I did a lot of shareholder engagement. So you could say things like, I think you should set a science-based target. I think you should reduce your emissions. And um, had no real understanding of how difficult it was to do those things on the corporate side. So I had the idea of kind of getting into corporate sustainability, getting back to that idea of the business I wanted to start, you know, as a 22-year-old mm-hmm. of like, how do you help people make more sustainable decisions? Um, and so the opportunity came up to join William Sonoma. And I have to say it was a nine month long interview process. Um, my <laughs> boss really took a leap of faith on me. I'll always appreciate him for that because, you know, I didn't have a corporate sustainability background. I really did have a background in communications in, um, in investor relations and in evaluating impact and kind of bringing sustainability to different stakeholders. Um, so join William Sonoma where, so Williams and I had really ambitious sustainability goals. So I was the director of sustainability for the West Coast brands. So that's all the Pottery Barn brands, um, Williams-Sonoma, Williams-Sonoma Home, Rejuvenation, and Mark and Graham. And so I worked at the WSI, the parent company level. And so that meant that I was responsible for all of those West Coast brands hitting their sustainability goals. Um, and they were really ambitious goals. They were 100% responsibly sourced cotton, 
um, 50% responsibly sourced wood. And when I joined, there was not a ton of awareness that those goals existed. <laughs> so uh, the role was very executional, very much focused on, you know, kind of working through the entire supply chain of Williams Sonoma of, you know, kind of starting with the design team all the way through to the merchants and the sourcing team and the vendors, you know, to the factories in India, like really connecting the dots between, okay, well, how are decisions made about, you know, cotton sourcing? Um, who, like which supply, how do you know? So if you need to source responsibly source cotton, like what tools do you need to, to figure out like the vendor that you want to source from, do they have the right certification? So it was just a lot of like figuring out how do you implement sustainability within, you know, this process of production. Um, we made a ton of progress while I was there. Actually, I had no plans to leave Williams Sonoma. I loved the company, loved working there. Um, but the opportunity came up to join Grove in 2019. And that was just super exciting for me. I'd been a Grove customer for a really long time. Loved, you know, the option to buy sustainably, to not shop with Amazon, um, and just to have a marketplace of curated products focused on sustainability. And the thing that appealed to me about joining Grove is that I would be the first director of sustainability. So I'd get to build the program from the ground. And so that's what I've spent the past two and a half years doing is really building this industry leading program around sustainability from scratch. So Grove has been completely oriented around sustainability. Like I mentioned, it's the reason why the company exists, but we had never had, you know, formal measurement system or, you know, vendor onboarding, supplier surveys, things like that. So really building the system from the beginning. So that's a very, I think that's probably the longest amount of time I've ever taken to tell <laughs> my whole career journey, but that is the career journey. And that's where I am today. Oh my gosh. Well, thank you so much for indulging me and us. Um, I absolutely love that your 22 year old self's like business dreams are 100% what you've been doing in slightly different ways and formats know, so for the funny. past few years. <laughs> yeah. And that's why I mentioned that is just, you know, kind of really have this belief that people want to make the right decisions. They want to have their homes be filled, you know, with not plastic single-use products, but like with safe products they feel good around for their health, for their pets, for their kids. And people don't want waste. They don't want single-use plastics. So yeah, it is um, a nice version of the future that we're building. Totally, totally. Um, and I also know that doing work like this that I know is so close to your heart um, for so many women in my world, it's like really hard to feel like we're making a big enough impact in the work that we do in the day to day. Um, do you have any words of wisdom or advice or thoughts on like how to let it feel like it's enough? I mean, obviously like I, you know, from the outside, I look at the work that you're doing, like aiming to be plastic free by 2025, like these huge audacious goals and it seems like so much and I also know the reality is like sometimes no matter how big the goals are there's just this question of like we're in a climate crisis and is, is it enough yeah no I think it's such a good <laughs> question because you know, like anyone in sustainability or interested in it I read all the doomsday books and you know kind of I'm very aware of the signs and the forecast and you know it's something I struggle with having young kids is what kind of world are they going to grow up in? Like, what are they going to remember about this time? And so I don't, you know, I, I say all of this with very clear understanding of the risks and not risks, um, just what the reality is I think we're all facing. So I definitely struggle with these same things that everyone else does. You know, it never feels like you're doing enough. 
But I think what I say to other people and just to everyone doing this work is like, what's your alternative? Like, what would you rather be doing? You know, I think about like, we have this opportunity to fix whatever's in our purview, whether it's our home or our company or our industry, right? So whatever impact you can make is better than not making an impact. And I think it matters more than you think it does. Like people are always watching other people and learning from them. Um, so I think whatever impact you can make is a great start. It's a step in the right direction and it's bigger than you think it is. It matters more to do the right thing and kind of tilt the scale in the direction you want to go in and have integrity in your path and your choices. Um, even if they're not the biggest impact, it's, um, it's still an impact. It's still a step in the right direction. So, you know, um, I don't know. I think I try to keep it pretty simple of like, well, we're doing our best. That's all we can do, you know? And so I think, and of course, like my best isn't perfect. You know, I'm trying to move growth towards plastic free. Is my home plastic free? Like I'm not a zero waste person. I live in the real world. My kids eat those packet foods that I wish, you know, we didn't, but at least I buy, you know, I like spend a little extra to buy the regeneratively sourced. I think it's called White Leaf. It's a brand that they sell on good eggs. And I'm like, you know what? My best today is regeneratively sourced, um, vegetables mushed together, <laughs> put into single use plastic that I'm going to put in the trash and is going to last 500 years. But this is the industry's failing. This is not my failing as a mother, like as a consumer, you know, I wish I had time to have an organic garden and make my own baby food. But I think these are, you know, I think also you have to be kind to yourself and realistic with the choices you have available. And so that's why I also feel so passionately about the spaces. We have to make better choices for people, like make mm. them feel good about their decisions. Um, and make them have choices that they feel don't sacrifice their values. You know, like a little part of me dies every time I throw one of those packets in the trash. But, um, you know, we uh, we live in the real world. So I don't know. That's my philosophy on are we doing enough? Have you been meaning to expand the circle of amazing women in your network, but it's been hard to find the time to connect consistently? Are you a member of a small team creating a big impact and you wish you had additional brains to tap to think strategically about what's next? Are you craving personal growth, community, and magic in your personal and professional life, but feeling like you don't know where to find it? Imagine if you had dedicated time and space to build relationships with other badass women in impact. Imagine if you had access to a brain trust of rock stars who are ready to help you solve any challenge, personal or professional. Imagine if you had an extended team of like-minded women cheering you on, hyping you up, opening doors, and helping you make your wildest dreams come true. Imagine if you took the time to really invest in yourself and be intentional about the impact you are here to make. The Girls Club Mastermind is a five-month mastermind for women who are changing the world. It is an intimate community of powerful women who are dedicated to lifting each other up. They are your hype women, your cheerleaders, and your extended team. The next round of the Girls Club Mastermind kicks off in April, and you don't want to miss it. Head to elizabethbest.com slash girlsclub. That's E-L-I-S-A-B-E-T-H-B-E-S-T dot com slash girlsclub to learn more and apply today. I think you made so many great points there. I mean, I do think like that question of like, okay, well, like if not this, like, is there something else you feel like you should be doing? I think like, and often if the case is like, no, this is the thing that I want to dedicate my time 
to working on, um, we need people who are working on all the things, right? Like from totally from the totally. single plastic that your children's food comes in to, you know, the compost in a random city in the middle of Idaho to <laughs> renewable yeah. energy, like in a remote corner of India. Like we need all the people working on all totally. The and if people are working on other stuff, then like being a vegetarian, driving an electric car, just making the choices you have at your disposal. I think all of that stuff matters, you know, switching to meat free Mondays, like every choice you made is a choice, you know, so which way, you know, which way you vote with your dollars, kind of all that, just thinking about your power as a consumer, as, um, you know, an advocate for the brands that you shop with or the decisions you make on a day-to-day basis, like shopping less with Amazon, I think is a big one, or just consolidating your purchases, you know, like there's so many ways to show up. I don't know. So I think it's kind of just like, what is available to you? Like what changes are you able to make in your world? Totally, totally. And I also very much agree with your point, like we do live in the real world. And it's like, ultimately, for some of these changes to be more possible and more seamless, like we as consumers need to have better options. Absolutely. I think that's really what it comes down to for me is like, I really think if you gave consumers good options, they will make good decisions. Mm -hmm. Um, That's just what we don't have right now. Food comes in single use plastic packaging. It's just, you know, our whole kind of world consumer world the consumer package because industry has just been built on the back of the single-use plastic um you know same thing with like fossil fuels like nobody wants these things i think we're kind of in this existential crisis where we look around and we're like so paralyzed by how bad things are in this doom and gloom but we don't feel empowered to make changes big enough you know and so i think that's what we have to reconcile is like with these massive issues, like I'm not going to stop climate change, you know, no matter what I do in single use plastics, like the fossil fuel companies are building more and more. And so it feels totally overwhelming of like, what, what does it matter? What choices I make? But I guess we just have to keep making the right choices and working towards that. And I do think, you know, again, it comes back to like, what's the alternative? Just like saying like, okay, well, our fate is sealed. You know, I'm just (laughs) have to stay more optimistic than that, that humans are resilient and, um, we, you know, kind of have to advocate for the future we believe in. Totally, totally. I couldn't agree more. Um, well, I'm curious, I mean, you you obviously know a ton about sustainable lifestyle shifts. You mentioned a few um, already, but where, if you were to give someone like your, you know, top three, top five list of like places to start, if someone's listening to this and they're like, ordering on Amazon every day and uh, eating meat every day or like, you know, and maybe people are already, you know, making some of these choices. But like if someone's like, I really don't know where to start, but I would like to have a more sustainable lifestyle, where would you recommend they get started? Yeah. I mean, I think it's a great question. The thing that I always tell people is you have to examine your own habits. So if you're a person who, you know, gets a, a, a nice coffee every day on the way to work, not that I don't know if everyone's going to work anymore, but you know, whatever your recycle bin or your trash bin looks like that, you know, you do this audit, what I call like a waste audit of like, what are your habits? Where are you generating the most waste? Um, I think that's a helpful tip for like, what habits can change? Where can you move from single use to reusable or refillable um, in a way that hopefully the solution will feel like a solution and not a trade-off. So like, with coffee, like, you know, I just, I feel like it's like a little tired to be like your coffee cup, your water bottle, whatever, but like, it just depends on what your habits are. Right. So I think just examining your own habits and moving from, you know, packaged food to fresh food or whatever, like whatever is in your trash bin, like that's your indicator of like where you should be starting your journey. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, 
because there are a ton of solutions available for really anything you want to do. So it's a question of like, where are you generating waste? Then I think for parents, well, actually, sorry, let me take a step back. So the number one thing you really can do is compost at home. So food waste, putting food in the trash means that that food is going to landfill and it's not going to decompose properly. So when it does, it's going to generate methane, which is worse for the climate than carbon dioxide. So the number one thing you can do is not have food waste and put that food into a compost bin, whether it's ideally municipal compost, which makes it a lot easier, or if you're home composting, I think that's a great option. Or like in a lot of cities, there are composting options. You have to, you know, kind of find ways to, to get to them. So I know that's not ideal, but it really is a high impact thing to do. Obviously going vegetarian is a big one. If that's an option, even part-time. And then the other thing is for parents, diapers are a huge, huge, you know, kind of source of waste and carbon emissions. Um, in San Francisco, we're lucky to have a service called Earth Baby. Um, but Diaper, D-Y-P-E-R, has a service too called Rediaper, where they compost the diapers. The thing that's a little weird about it is you have to send your used diapers like, <laughs> to their facilities. But I know they're working on having more facilities locally, so that doesn't have to be part of it. Um, but compostable diapers, um, or even like, you know, the cloth diapers, whatever, that's not for everyone. But, you know, I use, for my kids, at least we use the compostable diapers, and that's a big one. And then, you know, it's really easy to purchase carbon offsets. We have a marketplace on Grove where you can add them to your order now. So, and like, there's a ton of resources available. Stand for Trees is a good one. Sea Trees is a good one. But like, just supporting projects that you think align with your values, I think that's another kind of really easy thing to do. So I don't know, I want I always do like to make it simple for people is like, just think about your own lifestyle, and like what's going to make the biggest impact in your lifestyle. Um, it just depends. I think for somebody who is like traveling a ton, is it reasonable to travel less? You know, like what kind of sacrifices are you open to making? Can you consolidate travel so that you're spending longer, you know, fewer flights? Um, that's obviously a huge source of, source of emissions. And then just thinking about day-to-day -day changes and what you're open to and what's going to stick because, you know, I don't believe in purchasing a ton of reusables that you're never going to use. Like that's not going to help. Um, so really just thinking about your habits and what, is a thing that kind of bothers you about your habits. Like I hate when I forget my cup and I have to get a plastic cup. I always feel so gross, but also thirsty. So like, <laughs> <laughs> you have to find things that work for your lifestyle too and not beat yourself up too much when, you know, you inevitably do run out of something and you have to get it on Amazon for delivery before 8 a.m. Like these services are hugely helpful for our modern lives. So I think it's just like streamlining where you can really. Totally, totally. No, I think that's, I, there were so many like brilliant nuggets in there for where people can start. And I think looking at your own trash can is the perfect starting place too, of like to understand what your footprint really is. And oh. the one more I should mention is, you know, trying to shop local, support local agriculture. If you have a farmer's market, so that's such a great and easy thing to do. That really does matter. Totally, totally. And I think, you know, local produce is also better for you nutritionally too. So there's a lot of yeah. benefits there. Um, well, one other thing that I know you did on the sustainable lifestyle front is that you create an annual sustainable gifting guide, which I think is so yes. fun. <laughs> um, it's, it's so fun to do. <laughs> I, yeah, it seems like such a fun <laughs> exercise. Um, and, you know, gifts are obviously a part of everyday life, more so around the holidays. But I'm curious if you have any specific actions that come to mind for how people can make their gifting more sustainable. Yeah, I love this question. Um, so I'm happy to share my sustainable holidays gift guide. Um, 
I can, you know, maybe we can put it in the notes or something because mm -hmm. it's pretty similar. I mean, I'll give away my secret sauce here. It's not like a hugely different deck every year. I think the <laughs> gifts change, but the concepts are the same. And so the tips are not only relevant for the holidays, it just happens to be this like intensive time where travel and gifting and hosting all kind of come to a head. So it really is just kind of small things you can do every day. So I think with gifting and the holidays always stick out for me, I guess, again, because of that intensity, but also because of this feeling of obligation, like that's the way we do things. But I think what I, you know, kind of realize is that like and a lot of times everyone in a family is like, oh, I have to do this. I have to do this. But so if you can just pause for a second and say, hey, like we all kind of acknowledge that we have enough stuff, right? Like what is a more meaningful way to spend this time together over the holidays? Like, is it, you know, a swap gift where you give one really nice gift to one person and everyone gets a gift, but you know, it's not so overwhelming with stuff or maybe we don't do gifts and we give, you know, to certain causes or, you know, my husband and I are both Capricorns, which is fun. <laughs> so our <laughs> birthdays are um, right around the holidays and we do experience gifts. So we'll each book like a trip or a long weekend and that'll be Christmas and birthday. Um, and then you have this great trip to look forward to that you don't have to plan um, and, you know, such fun time away. So I think it's just, a time like any gift is an opportunity to reflect values and to support brands that you care about and then align with your integrity um you know you feel good about like whether it's a you know black owned business or a women owned business or whatever like you're supporting somebody when you do that so i think my tips for gifting and for holidays are first of all think about what's meaningful to a person if you're shopping out of a feeling of obligation take a pause take a step back and be open to having what's maybe an uncomfortable but maybe very welcome conversation about how can I really support you as a person? Because like for me, if someone is like, I know your birthday is coming up, you could either have a candle or two hours of babysitting. I would be like, get over here, like right now. <laughs> <laughs> so like, what is really going to matter? What's going to be helpful to someone? Um, so I think like that's a nice idea. And then of course, doing some research on the brands and the things, you know, the values that matter to you. Um, Veteran-owned businesses, another great one. Like just so many, or just like, you know, local businesses or services that are helpful for people. I think it's such a nice time to just break our habits, reflect on things that are kind of like a cool way to expand someone's horizons, like a national park membership or um, a museum membership or a swim class or a gym membership. Like just so many ways to kind of move out of our mold of consumerism and feel like we have to keep, you know, purchasing and purchasing. But um how do we move gifting to something that's more intentional um, and hopefully more meaningful that really kind of reaffirms our relationship and what people, you know, find helpful, supportive in their day-to-day -day lives. So it's kind of a microcosm for our um, habits as consumers, which I think is why it's so intriguing to me. Totally, totally. And I do think it's like, it can be such a like double bonus. I feel like when you shop for a gift for someone that is going to delight them and that also totally. aligns with your values. Yeah. Yeah. Totally true. One fun thing we did, I don't know if they thought it was fun, but I adopted elephants for my nieces one year Aww. and you get these like updates. It was, it's like, it's called Sheldrick Wildlife Trust. You can adopt an elephant. Um, my sister is a natural biodynamic wine distributor, shameless plug for her business. And she has a lot of women winemakers, which is really cool. She's called Roni Selects. You can sign up for wine club. Oh, I um, love that. Anyway. Yeah. Um, I love natural I'm her wine. worst sales rep. Last. <laughs> <laughs> How fun. Um, yeah. Well, I'd love to hear, you know, shifting a little bit, but staying in that, in the same kind of vein of 
impact and circularity. Um, you know, you're sitting at such an interesting spot in leadership um, in the sustainability world. Like, what trends or shifts do you feel like you're seeing in 2022, um, either that are making you hopeful or maybe just things that you're observing? Um, do you have any, like, predictions? Definitely. So I think we're seeing a lot. I think we're seeing refill and reuse move more into the mainstream. So I think the concept of reusable beauty, and this is something that's kind of intrigued me for a while, because I think when you think of luxury items, single use and luxury don't line up, right? So like, how do we equate luxury kind of high, like high value, like aspirational products with things that are really durable and beautiful and meant to last forever, you know? Um, so I love like Hermes makes a um, refillable lipstick, which I think is just a really nice concept. Um, but things like that, like, I think we're seeing that move into like, obviously like more mainstream, more accessible cosmetic brands. And so I'm seeing a lot of refill reuse. I think it's still challenging because there still is a single use component. Mm -hmm. So it's not perfect, but it's definitely a step in the right direction. Um, I do think that plastic free kind of low plastic options are becoming more mainstream, you know, maybe not just, I mean, definitely like in my world, but I think everywhere, like consumers, people have spent a lot of time at home. And just seem to be really building more and more of an aversion, I think, to single-use plastic or just kind of like a more aware of plastic. So I think this whole thing about like plastic-free, eco-friendly, but like really well-designed, you know, kind of like those stainless steel aesthetics of like, you know, kind of clean and simple and elegant. Like I think that aesthetic is, to me, feels like it's becoming more mainstream or like plastic is gross, you know? Mm -hmm. And so like how well, do So we... many of us, like, I feel like have been looking at, the waste yeah. that we're generating day in and day out. Like, whereas before we maybe like left things in many different trash cans over the course of the day. Right. Now right. it's all the same trash can. So. Oh, good point. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So I think, yeah, just like an awareness of that. So the refill and reuse is one I'm really excited about. Um, and I think just people are just more aware of like ingredients and ethical sourcing and all that stuff. I don't know if that's so much a trend as kind of like just increasing education on like certifications and things like that. Um, so I think that's the extent of my crystal ball for now. <laughs> no, I love it. I um, hope, yeah. <laughs> thank you so much for sharing. <laughs> well, and I also did want to ask, like, do you have any thoughts? I mean, again, I think the work that you've been doing on the plastic free front is super inspiring. Um, and obviously, maybe not obviously at all, but like when you set that goal, I'm guessing you did not know how you were going to achieve that goal. Yeah, and that's I, very true. Sorry, <laughs> so, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, so I was just saying, like, do you have any, like, thoughts, wisdom, advice for other people who are, like, hoping to set impossible goals um, in their organizations in similar veins? <laughs> impossible. It is impossible. It's true. Um, yeah, I think my advice, and this is not something that every company can do. Like, I know when I was at Williams-Sonoma, we couldn't set a, or, you know, kind of any public company, you're going to have a hard time setting a sustainability goal that you have to look the CEO in the face and say, I have no idea how we're going to reach this goal. <laughs> so I think it depends on the company and the culture. At a company like Grove, and I think a lot of smaller companies that really emphasize their sustainability, setting a goal that you have visibility to how you're going to reach it is not good enough. It's not, um, you know, I can say it more nicely. I can say like, it's not ambitious enough. It's not bold enough. But like, really what I mean is it's not good enough. You can do better. Um, and so I think that's what I love about this plastic free goal is like, 
what were we going to say? 75% less plastic. Like, what's the point? The point is to change our industry. Like to me reaching 90% plastic free and saying, Hey, guess what? We didn't reach our goal. Like that's hugely successful. That means we will have changed our industry. We'll have transformed the brands we carry on the site. We'll have showcased that millions of consumers are not only open to, but, you know, kind of demanding these changes. And so my thought on setting impossible goals is trust your instincts, trust your gut and do it. And if you don't succeed, that still might be success, like redefine your, me- your metric for success, because, you know, kind of reaching 90% on an impossible goal is, I think, better than reaching 100% on a not bold enough goal, you know, so I think imagine your opportunity to change your industry, to change your company and start there and see what you can get done and then go backwards until you get, you know, to a point where you get all the approval you need to do it and then start making friends and figure out how you're going to get people on your side to start implementing it. Totally. No, I think that's brilliant advice and and very like succinctly put and like reminds me of this saying, like shoot for the moon, land in the stars. <laughs> right, right. You're still, you know, by getting the 90% of the way there, it's still obviously so much more than even 100% of your 75% goal. Right, right. Very cool. Um, well, I'd also love to ask, um, and then I'll, we'll transition to a few kind of quick hit questions uh, to wrap before we wrap things up. But um, you've obviously you've been a working mom through the pandemic, juggling a lot of things. Um, and I'm curious if you have any you know, wisdom or thoughts on like how you prevent burnout, how you balance everything, um, knowing that every day is a dance, <laughs> but if you have any, yes, any thoughts that um, our listeners who either are moms or thinking of becoming moms are looking to extend more compassion to moms, um, <laughs> anything that might benefit them. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think the best thing I can do for myself is take some time for myself. No, honestly, the best thing I can do for myself, like people told me this, like you really have to throw money at the problem. And I think the best thing for me is paying for a babysitter and just having some time, like whatever bandwidth it is that you need. Like, I just cannot sign up for this, you know, like do it yourself brand of motherhood. Like it is (laughs) not for me. I don't think it's sustainable. And I think if the last few years have taught us anything, it's that like you need help and it's really hard to do this on your own. So like, what does help look like for you? For me, it looks like, you know, two or three hours on a babysitter on a Saturday morning and like not beating myself up about like, I should spend this time with my kids or like, whatever, like you, you do you, like you need to kind of beat your own needs before you can meet anyone else's. So I think it's figuring out just like, what does help look like for you and how do you get it? And then, um, I don't know. The other thing that helps me is just like being really clear about boundaries. Like Um, recently our whole family had COVID and I was like, you know what? I'm not going to try to do it all. I'm going to block my calendar when I have my kids and I'm not going to be on my phone. Like I'm not going to check Slack and you know, anything else can wait. And I think you're just happier, like not happier. You're definitely not happy when you're like watching your kids during COVID on the workday, but you're (laughs) kind of like, you know, bone crushing anxiety when you're trying to like keep your kids from going down the stairs and also like check Slack. It's just like be transparent about your boundaries and stop apologizing. Like you're doing your best. And I think that's good enough. And if it's not, then like, you know, sorry to your boss, but that's all you can do. Like, don't beat yourself up about it. That's all you can do. Totally. No, I mean, I think that's um, just such thoughtful and like spot on wisdom (laughs) advice, because (laughs) I think the two, the two things that really landed for me are one, what can you outsource? Like what does not necessarily have to be you? How can you buy some of your time back, whether that's having help or 
or I guess it's often having help. But so like in what aspects of your life is that helpful? And then like to just be honest with yourself and do what you're doing when you're doing it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think simply put, that's it. That's all you can do. Totally. But I think so often, especially as women, we feel this pressure to like do all the things all the time. Um, and it yeah. totally leads to that bone crushing anxiety feeling like it you're really not does. doing it like, well. I haven't been to the grocery store since COVID started. I order everything on Good Eggs and it's more expensive, but you know what? Like great local produce and all the brands. From the, and I, we go to the farmer's market every week too. And like, that is just one thing that has made my life so much easier. You know, like how, I don't even know how I would go to the grocery store with kids. Like it sounds like a nightmare. I'm stressed out just trying to think about it. It's like, just make peace with whatever works for you right now. That's what I've learned. Totally. Totally. And obviously recognizing that like that perspective comes from a place of privilege, but totally does. It totally does. I feel like very fortunate to be able to make those decisions, but I think as working moms, you know, you kind of hold yourself to these impossible standards of like, you have to, you know, kind of not spend this money and like do everything yourself. And it's like, I just don't think that's possible. So I think it's trading off. You either have to you know, kind of time or resources. And it's just being honest about your use of both. Well, I, on that note, I would love to hear um, if you have any advice that you would want to give your younger self and you can totally pick an age or just generic advice. But is there anything you wish that either 22, I'm thinking about 22 year old Danielle trying to start her business or <laughs> a different age, like you wish she knew? Um, I think that... I don't know. This is a really tough one for me for some reason. Um, I think that just having kind of, no, you know what? I think there have been a lot of moments where I'm like, what am I doing this, you know, job? Like, am I really like getting towards my goal of like working in sustainability or like, what's the point of this? You just kind of get so frustrated and hung up that you're not doing what you want to be doing. And it's all a step in the right direction. I always give this advice to people looking for jobs is like your next job isn't your last job. It's a stepping stone. So what can you learn? So I think I would tell myself like you're on the right path just keep going, have faith in your convictions. And it's all, all the time, all the hard work is worth it. Just kind of have faith that like every minute doesn't have to be kind of like exactly aligned. Um, you're moving in the right direction. So, mm. you know, the finding Nemo thing, just keep swimming. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Totally. I was on a, I was on a coaching call yesterday. Um, and the, the woman I was talking to was like giving an analogy, I guess it's from Will Smith's book, which I have not yet read, but it's like, kind of like, don't, if you're building a wall, don't focus on the wall, focus on the brick that you're putting on the wall right now. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I think that's really good advice. Yeah. Totally. Um, well, two more questions for you. Um, one, I would love to hear what you are most looking forward to right now. I, um, my parents are here. My dad's getting in today and we're going to Sonoma for the weekend. And I'm really looking forward to spending some time with my family and not being inside my house and getting away a little bit. Um, yeah, I mean, that's like a really nice change of scenery. We've done very little in the past two years. So it's like a real indulgence to be leaving our four walls of our home. So that's definitely what I'm most looking forward to. Oh, how fun. Um, yeah. yeah, really like, I feel like nothing else. COVID has really put into perspective some of the little things that are actually the big things. Totally. And just being outside, like I really miss, we used to do, I think just like having young kids, it's so hard to get out the same way we used to and like do, I mean, we still hike and all that, but you know, you don't get the same, we've done some camping, but not the same kind of exposure to the outdoors. So anytime you can be a little more outdoors is always something I'm like really kind of craving. 
total absolutely yeah um especially as it's starting to get a little warmer hopefully um and then my last question is my favorite question to ask everyone on the podcast which is if you had an inspirational post-it note <laughs> with your favorite reminder on it um what would you want to write on it i would write you're doing great exclamation <laughs> mark exclamation mark because I think a lot of people who work in sustainability hear a lot of no's all day and they hear a lot of like, um, maybe later, you know, it's just very, it's a challenging line of work. Like you don't leave every workday feeling like you made an impact, you made a difference. Like more often than not, you're kind of wrangling internal, you know, journeys and whatever. It's hard. It's hard work. It's frustrating. It's demoralizing, you know, kind of on a day-to-day basis, you don't get to celebrate a lot of milestones and victories. I think maybe the way other um, career paths do. So I would say just the fact that you're here is great, you know, for everyone listening and trying to make an impact in their own lives. Like you're doing great. Thanks for thinking about it. (laughs) You know, you're making a better impact than if you were doing nothing. So good for you. And um, yeah, I think we all just like need that. That's what I love, Liz, about your, you know, the girls club that I've been a part of and just, you know, the networks of women that you facilitate. Like, I just love that positive affirmation. I think just seeing yourself reflected in the eyes of your peers, you know, in terms of like all of your things that you're hung up on, your own anxieties and perceived shortcomings, like don't matter as much, you know, when you kind of look at the whole picture. Um, So if we could be like a little kinder to ourselves, I think we could all benefit from that. I certainly but maybe I'll write that on a post-it and put it up right now. <laughs> oh, I'm about to write that on a post-it and put it up right now in my like total crazy person lineup of post-its on my desk. Lots of exclamation marks. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, well, thank you so much, um, both for sharing that and for, um, for the reminder. I mean, I know I personally have benefited from the occasional <laughs> reminder that I'm doing great. Um, and it's just been such a treat to get to go deeper with you um, on all the really cool work that you're doing, but also on the really cool human that you are. And you're doing great. <laughs> so <laughs> so appreciate you being part of this community of women changing the world. Thank you so much for having me. It feels like such an indulgence to talk about yourself for an extended amount of time. So I appreciate your curiosity and um, it's so fun to chat with you and just be part of all these fantastic communities you're putting together. So thank you. Thank you for having me today. Well, thank you so much. And then last thing, um, is there a spot if people want to track you down that they can find you? I'm not very active, but I do have an account that I'm trying to keep up to date on Instagram. It's called Cleanish Greenish Home. Love it. I will include a link to that in the show notes. Okay. And then if you ever have questions on sustainability, just send me a message and I can, you know, give you tips or whatever you're trying to track down, whether it's a toddler mattress or a cleaning spray, I will help you Uh, (laughs) or a gift guide or my next year's gift guide. Love it. Yeah. We'll definitely be sure to share that too. Great. Well, thank you. And thanks everyone. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Women Changing the World podcast. Please rate and review the Women Changing the World podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts, and don't forget to subscribe for future episodes. You can find me on Instagram. My handle is liz.best, that's L-I-S dot B-E-S-T, or you can find me on LinkedIn by searching my name, Liz Best. Join my mail list by visiting elizabethbest.com slash monthly meditation, and you'll receive all the latest updates on events, retreats, and opportunities to work with me, plus a monthly love note from my heart to your inbox. 
I am so excited to keep in touch and I'll see you in the next episode.